I know that I normally start these shows with, uh, well, kind of so, you know, semi-normally. Let's go semi-normally. Uh, I semi-normally start these shows by looking at, you know, the calendar of what the day is today, that sort of thing. Um, but I'm making one up right now. I'm going to make one up on the fly here. Today is International Tuesday, uh, September 12th. Tuesday, September 12th, oh, September 12th in general. From here on out, it's just going to be now known as International Hug a Jets Fan Day today. Uh, I've never really felt bad for an opposing fan base, like, you know, just in general. Um, more than I did last night, because that was, I mean, you won, they won the football game, too. Like, they, they beat the Bills uh, an upset, for sure, especially after Aaron Rodgers went down. Um, I don't think anybody thought... Uh, Zach, uh, Zach Wilson was going to be able to lead that team, quote unquote, lead that team is really the defense leading that team uh, to a victory in overtime against the Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Bills team, who is largely expected to compete to be a top two team in the AFC three at the lowest, I would say. Um, and to see to see Zach Wilson and that defense lead the Jets to a victory was pretty eye opening. But man, I've never I don't really remember seeing a game in which like the first half nobody really cared about the football game that was actually being played on the field. Like you just kind of wanted to get to halftime to hear whether Adam Schefter had something or if there was news from halftime that we would have gotten from Robert Sala, the head coach of the jets after Aaron Rodgers went down. Like at that point from after the fourth play of the game, four plays in Aaron Rodgers, after everything we've seen, we've heard from Aaron Rodgers. He was on hard knocks with the jets, uh, all, all the media fiasco. He goes to New York, and immediately makes that team a a Super Bowl contender just by being there because at that position it is incredibly important to be you know have a top ten player in that position if you really want to compete to win a uh, championship in this league. He goes to that play. He goes to New York. They immediately become contenders because they have the ability. You know they have the the defense to do it as well. Their defense is very very good. It is a stout defensive unit. Um, and all they felt, and even last year it felt like all they were missing was that one piece at quarterback to really push them over to the edge, make them contenders. They finally get it. This would be if if Aaron Rodgers goes into um into MetLife and with the Jets takes them to the playoffs, to, takes them to the Super Bowl. Just the Super doesn't even win it. Just takes them to the Super Bowl through uh you know the Chiefs, through the Bills, goes through the Bengals, whatever takes them to the Super Bowl, doesn't even win it, loses to the 49ers or whoever in the Super Bowl. If he just does that in one season, he's probably the greatest quarterback. And, and you know, he doesn't, he has a quote-unquote MVP caliber year. He doesn't have to have like the season he had two, three years ago, but let's just say he's up there in touchdowns and stuff like that, up there with some of the best uh, in the, you know, top six in the league and that sort of thing. He would probably be the best quarterback in the history of that franchise. Just from that one season alone, if he were to do that, and there was no reason to believe that he wouldn't do that. There was a little bit of regression from last year coming into this season, but just two years ago, I mean, we're talking about a guy that had 37 touchdowns to four interceptions on his way to a uh, an MVP award, and he threw for you know 4,340 yards. Like, even if he, if he puts up half of that season, let's say he has 30, uh, more than half. Let's say he puts up three quarters of that season. He throws for 30 touchdowns. And he throws, you know, 10 interceptions on the season or something like that and throws for 3750 in terms of yards. That's the greatest season in the history of New York Jets football in terms of quarterbacking play. And he be, probably becomes the greatest quarterback in the history of that franchise because that is how uh, tortured 
that franchise that franchise has become at that position. Uh, you're talking about a franchise in the New York Jets who the greatest quarterback, I think, if you were to ask a lot of them, a lot of Jets fans, who the greatest quarterback in their franchise's history would be, uh, it would probably be Joe Namath, Namath played from 1965 to 1976, really um, encapsulated and created the show that was and became quarterback. You know, the the limelight that became uh, quarterback. But you look at the stats on Joe Namath, and he is a Hall of Famer. You know, whatever that may mean from back then or not. But you look at the stats. He had 170 touchdowns throughout his career. 170 touchdowns to 215 interceptions. That is, uh, that's terrible. A 50% completion percentage throughout his career. That's not good either. A 65.8 quarterback rating. That's terrible as well. Uh, Yards per game, 198.9. And of course, you can make the argument. It was a different time back then, obviously. The game was played differently, which absolutely, I'm not going to argue with that. But all we do, just as sports fans, is comparison shop. And a lot of the numbers that you see Joe Namath that had put up from 1965 to 1976, even for back then, was not very good. I think he popularized the position and made it more of what it is today than it was back then. Uh, But 170 touchdowns to 250 interceptions, a 50% completion percentage is that's dreadful like that's bad that's a backup in this league maybe not even backup. that's arguably a free agent in this league uh today uh and i would say i mean they, they would your, your Jets fan would probably say joe namath but in terms of outside of him as the the he's basically been the figurehead for the quarterback position for the jets and that was you know the last time he played for the jets was 1976 which is honestly saying a lot but outside of him your next best answer would probably be the seven years of Chad Pennington that they had the one year of Brett Favre, the, I guess the nine games that you had at Brett Favre, the Mark Sanchez years, the Mark Sanchez, he played there for four years. He had a 33 and 29 record. He took them to AFC championship games, uh, but he finished with a 68 touchdown to 74 or to a 69 interception ratio, which not as bad as Joe Namath's the higher completion percentage than Joe Namath. He finished with a better quarterback rating in his career than Joe Namath. Um, and then Chad Pennington, Chad Pennington is probably the best answer you're going to get, uh, in terms of like actually being a good quarterback, you know, a decent quarterback, 82 touchdowns, 55 interceptions and 88.9 quarterback rating 32 to 29 quarterback record. You know, he was probably the most talented quarterback that they have ever gone, have had go through there and play for that team for an extended amount of time, you know, um, and that's crazy. If you look at their their passing leaders just of all time, uh, Zach Wilson, who is the backup, he's only been in the league for three years. They drafted him as being the guy that is going to lead this team out of darkness uh, three years ago, and he has only played 20 or started 22 games since then. Uh, he's played in 23 total games, one extra game in relief, and he already, already is 14th on the all-time passing leaders for uh, Jets quarterbacks in terms of yards. He's already 14th of all time. That is insane with how, I, I mean, just look at any other or other, uh, you know, franchises throughout this, throughout this league. The Green Bay Packers are a great example because it feels like they haven't had a bad quarterback since before I was born. I think Jordan Love, you know, I'm not saying he's good yet, but he put on a pretty impressive, impressive display yesterday. And you know, I'm not going to jump to the conclusion and say it's good. You know, the Packers found another. But before him, Rodgers, Favre, they haven't had a problem at quarterback in basically two decades, approaching three decades. Um, 
And then you look at the Jets. Another tortured fan base in this area would probably be the Bears as well. These are one and two in terms of tortured fan bases. And then you have the guy walk in, the guy that is going to stop all that, prevent it. He's going to prevent it from, you know, he's going to be the guy that is going to lead the Jets back to uh, the promised land with their massive fan base that they have uh, in tor- massive tortured fan base. This was going to be, be the guy that took them to the promised land, finally brought the Jets back up to prominence because basically ever since Sanchez and the early days of Zach Wilson, some Brett Favre days, they've really been more of a regional a regional New York team, to be honest. The Giants have probably had more uh, national spotlight upon them than the Jets have had. And four plays in, not even a, a completed drive in, four plays, one pass, one pass in on the second pass play of the game for Aaron Rodgers. He ruptures his Achilles and his season is over and the Jets are right back to being the poor, poor Jets, the the, the tortured fan base that everybody thinks of when they think of a team that has a massive fan base, but one that doesn't really have anything to kind of show for it at this point. AFC championships with Mark Sanchez, essentially, and a really good defense right now with a pretty solid head coach, I will say. Uh, in a really, really good defense right now that has nothing to show for it. It I made me feel bad. So that's why today is going to be international. Just hug, feel bad for a Jets fan day. Because today, that was like one of the only times where I was like, man, the Jets. Just in general, for another foot, another football franchise. I was like, man, I feel bad for the Jets. I feel bad. I feel so bad for the Jets. And I heard Jets fans throughout the offseason, they, you know, there were a couple people that were very happy they got Rodgers. You know, they were excited for the upcoming season. But something on the tinge, on the outside, you heard some guys, you're like, look, they're going to find a way to mess this up because it's the Jets. Like those fans were there. They were out there. They're, they were like, the Jets were cursed. We're going to find a way to screw this up. Something's going to happen and it's all going to come crashing down. They were all excited on on Monday, obviously, at the start of the game because, you know, all, all the pomp and circumstance goes out of the way. You finally see Aaron Rodgers on the on the field and he's throwing the football. And then those people are um, crushed, but, you know, correct all the same because something did happen and it ruins all chances, essentially, at this point of the Jets making a contender run, becoming a contender. They could probably find somebody in the free agent market that will be somewhat serviceable, more serviceable than uh, Zach Wilson. In my opinion, I think they could probably trade for a guy like James Winston and that will be good enough to make them contenders. I think that defense is definitely good enough to take them um, with a decent quarterback to uh, a Super Bowl if they really got rolling at the right time. Uh, But you need somebody that's just at like the very bottom line, just basic, Uh, not basic, what average you need him to be average at the very, very bottom line. That's it. You just need him to be average because that defense is good enough to take the Jets um, uh, pretty far. I think they still win. If Zach Wilson is their quarterback, they probably win six or seven games, I would say. Finish seven and ten because I think that defense is good enough to, especially, you know, against like the Patriots. I think that defense is good enough to slow down the Patriots just in general. And Zach Wilson can trip and fall. And the run game is good enough to kind of trip and fall into uh into a couple victories here and there. But, um, you know, you're looking at a team that was supposed to be 14 and 14 and four by the end of the season or 14, excuse me, 14 and three by the end of the season, looking to hunt for maybe not a top seed in the AFC, uh, but you know, a top, uh, a top five, a top four seed top, you know, three through four, three through five seed in the AFC. And they could really make a push with that defense. They could have made a push 
for a Super Bowl. Now, I'm not saying it's over, but I think the dream of them going 14 and four, 14 and three, 15 and two, 15 and two. I, I can't remember any of the, the it's 17 games. So 15 and two. That dream's over. It's over. That that's not going to happen now, unless you can make some crazy trade that the likes of you know the foot the football gods have never seen. But I don't see that happening either. Um, you can maybe go out and get a guy like James Winston. I think that's probably your best option right now in terms of uh, somebody that can just get you there is good enough to actually drag uh, that offense. And I think they're like I said, I think their run game is good enough to win them a few games. I think Brees Hall and Dalvin cook after what we saw from last night from Brees Hall, that one, two punch, I think is good enough to win them a few games in this league. Um, but again, when it comes down to it, the brunt of it, you need a, a at very least a top 10 to 15 quarterback in this league to really carry an offense to get to a Super Bowl. I think their defense is good enough to fill some of that gap a little bit. And I think somebody that is average at, you know, average at the very least can get them to, uh, to where they want to be. But man, I've, I've never, I've never been so depressed. <laughs> I, I just, I, cause I'm not, I'm not a Jets fan. I'm a Vikings fan. And I was like, man, that, that hurts. And I, and you know, as a Vikings fan, I've seen Aaron Rodgers just torment my team for the last 10 years, essentially. And last night I was, I felt really bad. I was like, man, this sucks for him because you know, it's a new situation. He's got some good, some really solid weapons around him. Garrett Wilson made what's arguably going to end up being the catch of the year last year or uh, last night. And, um, and now, now uh, Aaron Rodgers has to, and the other thing is too, he's 39 years old and Achilles, that's a very, very hard injury to try to come back from, especially at 39 years old. I don't imagine a scenario in which Aaron Rodgers, you know, this is the last we see of Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers would not want that to be the way that he goes out. So I do expect him to be back out there, you know, for maybe a year or a year, uh, two years, maybe something like that. Um, but I, again, an Achilles injury with that, how hard that who knows what his mobility looks like. And that's one of his great uh, abilities as a quarterback is his ability to kind of maneuver around the pocket and get out of situations where he is um, gig, you know, under pressure and he's able to move out of it and just kind of maneuver the pocket pocket in a way that is not really seen in any other quarterback outside of maybe Patrick Mahomes. Um, and with the torn Achilles having to come back from that, who knows what he's going to look like after something like that. So, uh, man, Aaron Rodgers, that's, that was, that was tough to watch. Um, I will say though, and again, the Jets won, which is weird to think about. I think a lot of people are going to forget that down the line. The Jets ended up winning this game in overtime, but they really lost this game. <laughs> like if you really, I, they really lost, uh, the grand, they lost They, they won the battle. They're going to end up losing the war, unfortunately, because of it. Um, but what I will say, the, uh, going back to the defense a little bit, um, Rodgers getting hurt is likely going to brush over the really, really bad game that Josh Allen had. He finished 29 for 41, which is pretty efficient. Uh, he had 236 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. He also fumbled twice, losing one. Um, and in general, he finished with a total EPA and an EPA per player lower than Zach Wilson. Um, he did have a higher completion percentage over expected and a higher de uh, average depth of target, but it's time to, I think we kind of have to have the difficult conversation regarding, uh, regarding Josh Allen, because I think he's become very volatile in a bad way. Uh, Josh Allen last year, he had the most turnover worthy plays in the entire NFL, according to PFF. He had the most interceptions in the uh, tied with the most interceptions in the NFL with Dak Prescott. He also had 
16 fumbles last year. Uh, so you're looking at 20 interceptions over the last 18 games, essentially, and uh, 18 fumbles. Uh, I don't have how many were lost, but fumbles are just bad in general. Like lost or not, fumbles are bad. You should not have fumbles uh, as marked as something that's positive and fumbles in, ne- in general are negative because that is creating a situation that could lead to a turnover. So uh, fumbles are bad in general. So you're looking at 20, uh, 20 official turnovers over the last 18 games versus I believe he had uh, what was it? 38 interceptions. So 20 turnovers to 38 interceptions, 39. Uh, hold on. Let me, sorry, 20 interceptions to 39 TDs over the last um over the last 18 games, including this year. So one game into this year and then all of last year as well. So, um, you know, I think that he's just been more volatile over the past few, I guess, you know, few months essentially. Uh, and as, and, and the other thing is that that's, you know, Josh Allen has been good at it. He has, he has a ton of big time throws. He had 52 big time throws according to PFF last season, which is, uh, almost 12 more, almost 15 more than the next person in line, which is Patrick Mahomes. So you're getting somebody that is launching the ball downfield a ton. Like he throws the ball downfield more than basically any other quarterback in the league, but he also puts it in harm's way more than any other quarterback in the league. Uh, so you're, you're getting, and again, I don't think he's a bad quarterback or anything like that. I think I still think he's a good quarterback, but he needs to cut down on the volatility. He needs to take the dump offs when they're there. He does not need to force every deep throw to Stefan Diggs on a post route. That's double covered. We saw that last night and he, he just needs to get like, that's just something he needs to get better at understanding like the deep shot does not always have to be there. He is fine. And that's something that Patrick Mahomes has actually had to learn as well. Once Tyreek um, Tyreek left kind of towards the end of the Tyreek era, he realized that he didn't have to throw the ball, launch the ball downfield as often. And he started taking those, you know, shallow crossers, those dump off routes to his receivers uh, or to his running backs or something like that, just for extra yardage. So he's not putting the ball in harm's way. That was something that Patrick Mahomes was able to really grow into. And I'd like to see more of that from Josh Allen because 33 turnover worthy plays over uh, one season in 2022. That's uh, versus, you know, 33 turnover worthy plays versus 38 touchdowns. That's not very good. And 17 turn into, uh, 17 of them turned into interceptions. That is way too high of a mark for a guy like Josh Allen, who is able to should be, you know, up there with Patrick Mahomes in terms of, I mean, he already is up there with Patrick Mahomes in terms of throwing uh, the amount of, touchdowns that he's able to throw, but you know, Patrick Mahomes last year, 48 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. But I think Josh Allen has the ability to get to that point as well. I, without all the turnover worthy plays and the interceptions, he just has to realize that he doesn't have to get all of those, uh, all of those uh, yards and touchdowns basically in, in one play. Uh, and I think he's, I think he's going to learn that. Obviously he's still young, you know, it's not like he's, he's, officially finally grown into the position. You know, there's still learning process to be taken place. He's only in his what fourth year at the quarterback position. So I still think there is um, some growth to be made there. And um, yeah, we'll see. I just think, and honestly that that game was lost by Josh Allen. And I think that is going to kind of affect, and maybe he'll sit down and realize, okay, I'm making too many bad decisions. And then it all changes from here. Um, But we'll see. And again, you know, it's more up from here for the bills than it is for the Jets, I will say. I, I'm much more confident in where the Jet, uh, where the Bills are going to be in about eight weeks than I am where uh, with the where the Jets are going to be in about eight weeks.
Hello, my friends and fellow confidants. It is time now to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, I may have a bit of a hot take here, to be honest with you. I think there is no better way to watch a game of football, especially professional football, maybe even college football, than the comfort of your own home with your big TV, your own personal snacks. You know, you don't have to go to the concession stand to get a $9 hot dog paired with a $7.5 water. No, you can have your own water. You can make your own hot dogs at home and you can just sit there on your couch and watch football. You can't do any of that, though, without a home to do it in. And Jack and Kathleen Wood are the people to do it with at 307 Real Estate. They can help you at both buy and sell property that you are looking to list or purchase in the Sheridan area and beyond. They have been part of this community since 2004 when they first moved here. And ever since, they have been working to better the community and make it a more beautiful place to live. They are both ambassadors with the Chamber of Commerce, so they know this community like the back of their hand. So they are the people that you're going to want to talk to for all of your real estate needs, whether it be buying or selling. You've all heard the slogan, call Jack, get ready to pack. And you can call Jack at 307-763-1249 or Kathleen at 307-461-7203. That's Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Big thank you to them for sponsoring the show. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk some more NFL a little bit later, but we're going to get through college football. Last night was kind of just the story of all of the weekend, to be honest with you. But we're going to talk some college football. Uh, it was a good college football weekend as well. There was a massive, a massive game in Tuscaloosa over the weekend. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? I, I think I'm going to say it. I can't believe I'm going to say it. Uh, I, I hate that I have to say it, to be honest with you. I hate it. I hate that I have to say it. Texas might be back. Texas might actually be back, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if I want to go all the way because there might still be, you know, a loss to Kansas State or Kansas here or there down the line. And, you know, that's not out of that's not out of the question. But from what I saw uh, on Saturday against Alabama, Texas, Texas, that's a good team. That's a very, very good football team. Starkeesian, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, head coach, has really built that team almost to be SEC ready, I will say, because they have a ton of bodies up front uh, on either side of the line that are huge. They're monstrous human beings, you know, weigh up 360 pounds or whatever. And they look like sec offensive lines and defensive lines. Um, great linebacking play uh, against Alabama, their wide receivers. They have arguably the best wide receiving room in all the country, all of the country. And then Quinn Ewers is a fantastic quarterback for them as well. I'm it was, Texas might be back guys. I mean, Texas, I Texas might be back. Texas, I think they're back. I think they are back. And right at the right time, too. Like this year, if you can go through the Big 12, win the Big 12, then only leads to that only jumpstarts your position into uh, the SEC after beating uh, a team like Alabama, which essentially it feels like they just reload every year, obviously, a perennial powerhouse in all of college football for the last 15 years. Um, so for them to go into Tuscaloosa, too, and beat them by double digits, which I don't think that has happened in I can't remember the stat that I read, but it's it's been a long time since the uh, Nick Saban coach team has lost at home by double digits. Um, so I, I'm going to say it. I think Texas. I think Texas might actually be back. They got the they got the defense to show for it. Uh, they were really. I mean, it felt like Alabama could do nothing all night long. Granted, their quarterback play has probably slipped a little bit. Obviously, I mean, you just got rid of the number one overall draft pick, a Heisman Trophy winner. So. Of course, I, you know, everybody kind of figured that was going to slip up a little bit, but that, I mean, again, I, I, they looked like they were just being suffocated. It didn't look like it'd taken a step back. It looked like they couldn't do anything on offense. So 
Uh, I mean, Alabama, it could be a mix of both. Texas is good and Alabama has regressed, I think, a little bit. Um, and who knows? You know, this could be a turning point for Alabama as well. We've seen that before. Um, and I, I did say last, I mean, last week I told you guys, I said Alabama played that team better than anybody last year, other than the losses that in all the wins that Alabama had Texas, that was the hardest earned victory for Alabama last year. And that was with Bryce young. They lost, they won that game 20 19 on a game winning field goal. Um, and essentially a, 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 a scramble and a holding call or something like that, that ended that game. Um, so I, I wasn't necessarily surprised by this. I was surprised at how dominant Texas looked. Um, I thought this game was going to be a lot closer than it actually was uh, because I mean, even the final score, I don't think really shows how much, I mean, Texas went into Tuscaloosa and they basically dominated that team. I mean, that was domination essentially from start to finish for Texas. Um, they were, they were down in that game for essentially like a minute and 20 seconds uh, when Alabama took the lead it, towards the end of the third quarter. And then Texas drove down and scored in like less than a quarter, uh, less than a minute in the fourth quarter. So, and on the opposite side of that, um, Texas finally being back. They're here. Uh, they have made their presence known and felt. I, I think they're going to be a very good football team this year. Crazy, crazy take from me, but I do I do feel like they're back. Um, on the opposite side of that, who's not back? And who's never really been here in the first place, I'll say it. Uh, never, never really been a real threat to anybody in the college football realm. And that is... Of course. And you guys know I love them. I, lo I Well, I don't love them. I love to hate them, I guess is what I should say. Uh, that is Texas A&M. Texas A&M is back to doing their thing, which is disappoint like they do every single year. Um, lost to Miami, who was, it was the, it was a competition of the overrated teams. Uh, Miami looks like they're going to be okay this year. I think they're probably going to be better than a lot of us expect. You know, maybe a top 25 finish. I wouldn't say I wouldn't put that out of the realm of possibility. They'll be this year's Texas A&M from two, three years ago. Um, but A&M, man, I, I think Jimbo Fisher, the Jimbo Fisher experiment has to come to an end. I think Jimbo Fisher is highly overrated as a head coach. I think he can recruit very well, but after that, he doesn't really do anything with the recruits. He had a, according to 24-7 Sports, the highest recruiting class in terms of composite score from 24-7 Sports, the greatest recruiting class in the history of college football. Uh, that was two years ago. That was 2021. Um, they brought in the greatest in terms of composite score recruiting class of all time. And since then, Jimbo Fisher went five and seven in 2022. And they started off the year with a good victory in 2023 against New Mexico, who, you know, they brought in Bobby Petrino to kind of run the offense. And it looked like the offense was going to be, I mean, it's against New Mexico. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, I think, uh, was what was happening in that game. Um, they won 52 to 10 in that first game. And everybody was confident at Kyle Field. Everybody was at College Station. Everybody was really confident. They go into Miami, just get blown out. Uh, 48 to 33. Blown out's probably a strong word. I mean, Miami was leading at halftime. Uh, they brought it to, uh, Texas A&M brought it to 21 to 20, uh, trailing by one in the third quarter. But then after that, it was all Miami. Uh, they ended up winning 48 to 33. So uh, Texas A&M puts together 13 points in the second half, whereas uh, Miami puts together, was it 27 points in the second half or whatever it is, whatever the math is. Um, A&M, man, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, and I've talked about this before on the podcast. It's the most undeserved um, gloating, I guess is what you could call it, uh, of any fan base, I think in college football, period. They don't deserve any of the, uh, of any of the gloating that they have. They just have a ton of money and that's why they're kind of able to 
keep up, quote unquote, with the big dogs, especially in recruiting and stuff like that. And Texas A&M College Station is not necessarily a destination place or anything like that. And there's not a lot of destination places in, in a lot of these schools. But um, in general, like just in terms of history, Texas A&M is not a destination place. Um, most memorable player that they've had in the past ever, maybe ever, Johnny Menzel, probably Johnny Menzel. Um, but again, it's just a outside of Johnny Menzel winning the Heisman. They really haven't done anything of national uh, appraisal basically since 1998. I think when the last time they won a Big 12 turn, uh, conference championship, which is when they were in the Big 12, uh, was 1998. That's when they went 11 and three. That was like the last time. And you know, outside of 2020, which I think we wipe off, we say 2020 was kind of a wash for everybody. Um, where you know they started off, they were nine and one to end that season. Um, and so that, you know, that was a good year for them, but you know, just two years, like I said, just two, uh, two years after they brought in the highest rated recruiting class of all time outside of 2020, they haven't finished with less than four losses since Jimbo Fisher became the head coach of that football team. And just going back, you know, they, they just haven't been very good in general. And I think a lot of their national appeal is very undeserved because they haven't really, um, done anything since 1998, essentially. I mean, they haven't been a very good football. They've been a very me. I mean, not mediocre is a strong mediocre in terms of like the top 25 teams in the country. Like they're probably a top 20 school year in year out inside uh, in, in all of college football. I'll give them that. Um, But you know, the, the amount of appeal that they get is frankly kind of absurd um, because I mean, this is, you know, they'll have the start of the season. They'll all be excited for it because they brought in an insane recruiting class, a top 10 recruiting class year in, year out. And then they end up losing, you know, going eight and four or whatever, uh, or nine and nine and three, nine and three is a pretty good year. Eight and five, nine and four, I guess is what it should be. Seven and six. And these are all, those are all records from the last, you know, 10 years that they've had. So I don't know. I, I just, A&M is just, I, I think Jimbo probably needs to go from A&M. Good luck though, because it is a lot of money to get Jimbo out of uh, college station. They have, he has an absurd and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because, you know, the, the, uh, the university is not going to rush to fire a guy this season unless it really, you know, falls apart, like where they go five and seven again. If they go five and seven again, then I, you know, we might be having a conversation just in 2023. If they wanted to fire Jimbo Fisher, it would cost them $76.8 million to do that. I don't know if Texas A&M is going to be rushing to do that uh, anytime soon. Obviously, it goes down a lot more the further, longer tenured it is. Um, but, you know, I, I can't see that happening anytime soon. Um, but, yeah, I just think, and honestly, for the long haul, if you're Texas A&M, this is what to expect, I think. I think this is kind of, you know, th- this is kind of the the horse that you've drawn to your carriage. Like, this is what Jimbo does. Like, he's not, I, I never saw, I've never seen him as a great scheme a uh, scheme guy. He's a great recruiter, which is obviously good for football, uh, for college football. He's a fantastic recruiter, obviously. Uh, but a lot of that talent that he recruits never ends up, you know, outside of a couple quarterbacks here and there playing to the level that you would expect them to play at, at the, co- at the collegiate level. Um, and also if he does, you know, that buyout, what got him that contract, like Jameis Winston should get some of that money. I think if he gets bought out, if he gets $76.8 million and they fire him at the end of 2023, uh, and he, they have to pay out that $76.8 million. Jameis Winston deserves deserves a little cut of that money because Jameis Winston has, has clearly propped up Jimbo Fisher um, and basically got him that hiring at uh, at Texas A&M, I think. And, I, you know, I, I like, again, I think he's a very good recruiter. I just never, I, you know, on the field stuff, I've never, no reason to be impressed by uh, what Jimbo Fisher has done in the past, basically, five, since he left 
um, Florida State in, what was that, 2015, 2016, something like that. So, you know, we'll see. Well, I, we'll, we'll see with Jimbo Fisher. I don't, I don't know what to expect anymore. I just, I mean, I kind of know what to expect. It's like eight and four, nine and uh, nine and four, eight and five every season. That's the, that's, that's the baseline of what we're going to get from Jimbo Fisher, which for any other team in any other conference, that's like a pretty solid year outside of the SEC. I think if you're talking about like, you know, uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, those teams were in, you know, nine and five, nine and four, eight and five. That's a pretty good year. An upset here or there. I think that's a pretty good season for any other, for a couple other SEC schools. But if you're talking, you know, also if you're talking like Big 12 schools, any of some other smaller schools in the Big 12, that's a fantastic year as well. But for Texas A&M with the amount of money that is poured into that program, like eight and four or eight and I keep mixing that up. Eight and five, nine and four is uh it's not good enough. It's just not good enough for Texas A&M. They, they expect better, even though like they expect better because they have the money to be better. Essentially, they don't have the history or anything like that. They just expect to be better because they have the money. They can slam it on the table, say, Hey, we want to be very good. And that's basically what Texas A&M is. They haven't won a national championship since 19, 19- 39 like the year the beginning of world war ii is the last time they won a national championship so you know whatever it takes saying whatever you can slam your money on the table you know what it's not gonna buy you nothing not gonna buy you nothing around here all right let's move on uh we have oh man honestly this is my new favorite segment of all of, of all the entire program the entire podcast you know what time that means it is time for the poo-poo, garbage, no good game of the day. Uh, we're only doing this for college football, just so you know. No NFL games will go into this, just because it'll get a little stale for NFL, obviously. There's only 30 teams, whereas in college football, I have like 128 teams. I might disposal to pick from like 60 games to pick from. So, our poo-poo, garbage, no good game of the day for Saturday college football. We had a doozy out on the West Coast. If you, I hope you were up late to watch some garbage, because there was some garbage happening in California. Of course, I am talking about Auburn versus Cal. Auburn ended up winning this game 14 to 10, and it was a game for all of my great listeners out there who I'm imagining a listener who would have enjoyed this game. Uh, you have like a cutoff, maybe a plain white tee on, and you got like a big chaw in the bottom of your lip, and you're just always talking about defensive football, like defense wins championships, like that's your entire spiel for talking about defenses, defense wins championships. Well, guess what? I had the game for you. Auburn at Cal. It was disgusting. It was a late night stinker. Uh, both of these teams, not very good in general. Like neither of these teams are going to be good by the time of the end of the year comes up, I think. Uh, but they put on a real show on Saturday. Uh, by the time the game was up, both teams, they combined for a total EPA expected points added of negative. 57.45 they combined for an offensive EPA of negative 43.27 both teams combined had eight turnovers both teams combined had eight turnovers the Cal kicker Michael Luckhurst that's a tough I didn't even realize that when I was typing that Michael Luckhurst that's a tough name for this stat uh, Luckhurst and was not very he was very more like unluckhurst if I you get to my drift he missed three field goals he was one for four on the day it was disgusting both punters had more punting yards than either quarterback had passing yards and both teams finished with less less than 27 yards per drive it was vile it was a stinker and guess what I watched all of it because I hate myself but mainly because I like football and I just like watching football. Peyton Thorne for Auburn, by the way, starting quarterback, nine for 14, 
94 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. So two touchdowns. He counted for both the uh, both the scoring drives. So shout out to Peyton Thorne. Good day for him. So and a tough day at the office for both Auburn and Cal. It was disgusting. I think they also totaled like five total explosive plays, which is when an EPA is higher than a certain point from each play, essentially in total, they had like five explosive plays. It was gross, man. This was a disgusting game. Uh, you know, go back and watch it. It's fun. You know, just watch and slop. There's nothing. Here's the thing, dude, Saturday nights. This is what the great thing about Saturday night is you can just watch garbage, just some garbage football, but you know, tomorrow it's probably going to be better. It's probably going to be better. You have another day of the weekend. So you're okay with just watching slop, just not good football. But here it was. This was a poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. I love, honestly, I love, 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 love this portion of the show. I love the poo-poo garbage, no good game of the day, uh, day slash week, whatever you want to call it um, for college football, just because, you know, there's some doozies out there. There's some real bad college football being played, especially, you know, those late night, those West Coast late night games like that. And there's a good chance of those games ending up being pretty, pretty poo-poo, no good garbage. Um but that was the pick for this week. We're going to have a next one. Uh, li- oh, yeah. We forgot. To, we got to predict next week's next week's prediction for the poo poo garbage game of the week. Uh, Iowa State, Iowa. That was actually it turned out to be a better game than I thought it was going to be. I think the under still hit, um, but it was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, so probably going to avoid both of those teams, obviously. Let's take a look at the schedule, what we got coming up, even though Iowa State. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. Iowa State might have a worse offense than Iowa. Iowa seems somewhat passable. Um, so let's look at some, I'm going to try to avoid FCS schools. Cause that does feel like picking on the little guy a little too much. Kind of felt bad for Sam Houston state when I went with them against BYU on in week one as the garbage poo poo, no good game of the week. Um, but looking at, it's kind of a bad week for college football to be honest with you. There's are not a lot of just in general, great matchups, which makes good for us, obviously, but I just, you know, in general, there's not very many good matchups here for week three uh FIU UConn that's not a bad pick even though FIU two one two and one to start the season so you know that one's not terrible but UConn obviously on a two and there it feels like UConn hasn't been good in years um looking I'm scrolling through some of the picture because I like to do this I want I want to do it live obviously I want to have an actual a quick reaction on who I should pick for this part of the show um West Virginia versus Pitt that's not a bad pick either that's a rivalry game, though. Is that is that okay to do a rivalry game for the poo-poo garbage no-good game of the week? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, the, statistically, they're not terrible. Looking at both of them, West Virginia EPA per play, 0.47. That's actually one of the higher marks in college football. You know, that that's a little bit swayed, obviously, with the two first two games of the season. Uh, Pitt's also up there as well, so I don't know if that's necessarily the pick either. Um, oh, New Mexico, New Mexico State. That's... That's something to pay attention to. That might not be a terrible pick either. Um, but scrolling through here, there are a couple that I do like. Um, there was Nebraska. They're taking on NIU. That game looks like it's going to be gross, especially what we saw from Nebraska. Their offense is not very good. I think the over-under on that one is like 43 right now or something like that, 48 and a half, something like that. So pretty low over-under in that one. Uh, that's not a bad pick, but I do think I'm going to go with the one that I said earlier, which was UConn versus FIU Two not very good teams. Florida international are two and one, but I just advanced analytically, uh, not very good. Lots of purple on this screen that I'm looking at here. And I think this is going to be a slop. This is going to be a gross game. I, I don't like anything that I'm looking at here. FIU has had a decent defense so far this year. It looks like, um, 
But, you know, offensively, neither of these teams are very good at all. So I think this is going to be uh, this is going to be the pick. This is my pick, my pick for the poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. One of these times I'm going to hit on one of these. I'm going to say this is going to be a bad game. This is going to be gross. This is my poo poo garbage game of the week. And then the week after, but like, hey, guess what? The actual poo poo garbage game of the week was the one that I picked. I hope that's what happens this week. If not, could be Nebraska FIU. If Nebraska just doesn't show up, FIU or FIU, excuse me, um, Northern Illinois, uh, if they just don't show up and then Northern Illinois somehow just sticks with them, then that could be a gross game as, as well. Uh, but my pick, my actual pick, Poo Poo Garbage, no good game of the week preview for this week is going to be my prediction for the Poo Poo Garbage, no good game of the week. UConn versus FIU, 130 kickoff. Uh, it's going to be on CBS Sports Network. So that's my pick. A nice little mid-afternoon poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week for you. Then uh, for this week, we also had for this past week, we actually had the good game of the week, the actual good game of the week. My pick for that last week. Uh, what did I pick last week for my pick, my my prediction? What did I say it was going to be? I can't remember. Was it Alabama, Texas? It was probably Alabama, Texas. Um, it's, that was a good game. I will say that was a very solid game. Texas, I, and you know, like I said previously, they they I think that game was probably closer than it deserved to be. Um, but the actual good game of the week that was fun to watch, entertaining, and this is a, this is kind of an interesting pick. There are a couple of games that uh, provided some good next level excitement for college football. But this one I think was the best one. And that was Houston versus rice. Rice was up 28 to nothing through a quarter and a half. Houston, the Cougars, they came all the way back. Dana Holgerson. If you want to watch somebody just get angry, just red in the face all over during a football game, Dana Holgerson, head coach of Houston. That is somebody you want to watch. Um, Houston came all the way back. They tie it with rice. 15 seconds left in the fourth quarter, 28 to 28. They go into double overtime and Rice wins it on a failed two-point conversion attempt by Houston after uh, Rice scores twice. Nice little rhyme there. Um, and they, uh, they fail, the, it's a failed two-point conversion attempt for Houston, and that means Rice gets their first victory over Houston since 2010. They had lost seven in a row to Houston, and uh, they are the actual good game of the week. That was a fun game to watch. Um, you know, Rice got out to a huge lead, obviously, at the beginning, and then, you know, Houston just started... Pecking away at it, pecking away at it. Last second touchdown in the fourth quarter, last 15 second touchdown in the fourth quarter to send it to overtime. And then Rice wins it, uh, goes into double overtime. And then Rice wins it, uh, uh, stopping a two point conversion by Houston. And uh, it was a good game. It was a fun game to watch. I love watching games like that. And Rice, you know, the underdog, really. The underdog, we were rooting for the underdog in that one and they ended up pulling it off. So shout out to Rice. It's good to see them somewhat back, you know, quote unquote, somewhat kind of getting there. They're getting there a little bit, uh, even though, you know, they're not a huge, you know, they're not a great college football school, but you know, they're climbing back the ranks a little bit. So shout out to Rice. That was the actual good game of the week uh, for this upcoming week. What shall we pick for the actual good game of the week? Our prediction of what game is going to be actually good this week. This one's tough because there's a lot of bad uh, just bad matchups in general this week, to be honest with you. There's not very, very many interesting matchups on the schedule for this weekend. You have like Kansas State versus Missouri. That might be an interesting game. Two former Big 12. I mean, KSC, uh, Kansas State's still in the Big 12, but Missouri used to be in the Big 12. Uh, two former head-to-head clashes that they used to have all the time. That might be an interesting game to watch. Um, but, in you know, game day is going to Colorado, gone to Colorado, Colorado State. That game's going to be a blowout. Colorado is going to beat, beat the hell out of Colorado state. Um, I don't know why they're doing that. Why they're putting game day there. Game day is kind of depressing. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I don't love watching game day anymore. Cause I mean, Lee Corso, I love Lee Corso. Like he's great. He's awesome. 
Uh, but man, it's depressing to like, you really have to come to terms with your age having to watch um, college game day because Corso is just aging basically out of, out of college game day. Like they're basically just dragging him up there to do his pick and then he's done for the day. And that I just feel so bad watching Lee Corso and college. It just kind of, it leaves a gross taste in my mouth. You know what I mean? Like I don't like having to, uh, having to watch that. It just makes me feel weird. Uh, anyways, anyways, uh, the actual good game of the week, by the way, Wyoming, the Cowboys, they have a chance to do the funniest thing of all time this weekend. I mean, they've already upset one Texas, uh, Texas school and Texas tech, uh, Texas, they're traveling down to Texas to play Texas. Um, the universe, the team that just beat Alabama, you know, Wyoming has a chance to do one of the funniest things, maybe in the history of college football, if they're able to pull off an upset there, that would be, that would be hysterical if they were able to do that. Um, okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling through games here. I'm trying to figure out a game that would be interesting and fun to watch. Maybe Oregon state, San Diego state, good defense at San Diego state that might, uh, could cause problems for, um, for DJ young in Oregon state, maybe, maybe a little bit tough matchup there. And that's, you know, it's uh, one to put on the back burner, I think. Um, but again, not very many, like this is a sickos committee week. This is a, this is a bad week for uh, a lot of, a lot of football. I think there's not very many good matchups on the schedule, just in general, uh, for this entire weekend in, uh, in college football. One, another one, Maybe Mississippi State versus LSU. This would be a uh, not a huge upset, but this would really tank any expectations that LSU has to put them in the college football playoff after losing to Florida State to begin the season. And uh, Mississippi State, they're two and zero on the season so far. Not as good um, offensively as LSU is, obviously, but uh, they're a little better defensively in terms of the advanced analytics that I'm looking at here. Uh, LSU has been pretty subpar defensively so far to start the season, so. That might be a pretty good pick. We might see an upset there. Um, I think that's the one we're going to go with. That might be the pick for the actual good game of the week. Georgia's playing South Carolina. That should be a blowout. Uh, maybe Minnesota, North Carolina. That could be a good game. A little out of conference matchup for both of these teams as well. That could be total, that that could be a, an interesting matchup. Minnesota, though, not very good offensively, especially in the passing game. Uh, decent rushing team, but still, you know, offensively, they're just not very good and not great. Um, not able to compete with the likes of North Carolina and Drake may, um, but defensively North Carolina is not very good either. So Minnesota can kind of get whatever they want and Minnesota is good defensively. So that could be an intriguing matchup as well. But I think, I think I'm going to go with LSU versus Mississippi state. I think that's the one I'm going to go with be intriguing to see LSU still ranked 14th in the country. Um, so, and if Mississippi state's able to pull off Mississippi state at home, if they're able to pull off the upset in this one, then, uh, kiss the season away for LSU. They're going to be looking at next season. Essentially can't go two losses in the sec and expect to make it even make the, the conference championship game really. Um, so I think that's what I'm going to go with LSU kind of backed into a corner. We'll see how they play. I'm going LSU, Mississippi state, Mississippi state, the chance to with the upset, we'll see if they can pull it off. Um, that's at 10 AM in the morning in that game. So it'll be intriguing. It'll be intriguing to see that one. Uh, yeah, that's college football. We're going to wrap up the college college football portion of the show. Let's talk NFL. Beautiful podcast listeners. James here. It is time to hear from another one of our sponsors, Alpine Climate Control. If you're a listener of mine, you know that Alpine Climate Control has been supporting the stuff that I do for a very long time, years now, and they are now officially sponsoring the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast as well. 
If you're looking for somebody to set up air conditioning systems, air conditioners, that sort of thing, Alpine Climate Control is the people to see. They also have air conditioning tune-ups. A good idea if your AEC is not working properly, if it's not functioning properly, if you're standing in front of it, you're like, this should be a lot colder, and it's not, probably needs a tune-up. So check them out for all your air conditioning needs and AC tune-ups. They also have furnace systems and fireplace inserts. We are slowly approaching the fall months, and it is a good idea to get those things figured out and worked on now than as you enter the fall months. But they're creme de la creme, the cream of their crop, their specialty is their outdoor living spaces. They've got seating, fire pits, lighting, barbecue grills. If you're somebody that's like likes a little backyard barbecue, then they are the people to see to set you up. That's Alpine Climate Control. Stop by their showroom. They're on Coffee Avenue just before Sheridan College and a little bit after Starbucks or go online to alpineclimatecontrol.com and you can see all of their offerings there as well. That's alpineclimatecontrol.com. And again, big thank you to Alpine Climate Control for sponsoring the program. Okay, let's start talking some NFL. I know I'm a little late. I mean, this is pretty deep into the show. We're probably going to go a little bit over today, but that's okay. Because, uh, you know, it's football season. I got to talk about some football. Um, it's week one. It's week is finally here. We wait however many it was, 180 days or something. I don't know math. Uh, 160 days or some odd, something like that since the Super Bowl to today. Not today. Sunday to Sunday. And it was here. It was glorious. And we're going to start off today. I guess today, the NFL talk today by uh, celebration. You guys know what this music means. You guys absolutely do not know what this music means. Because I changed the imaging. Here's what happened. We had a scoregami. This is my general feeling after the game. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. A week one scoregami to celebrate. Already, it's the first week of the year. We have a scoregami. The Baltimore Ravens, they beat the Houston Texans 25-9. That was the 176th unique score in NFL history. The first time 25-9 has ever happened. This song is a French romance song. I can't pronounce the name of it because I really have no idea how to say it. It is... Nuit de Gloire, something like that. But this just fits the moment, you know? This just feels like we're celebrating. And we're celebrating. Score Gami, baby. 25 to 9, the Ravens did it. All right, anyways, that was the big story of the day, um, to be honest with you. Because honestly, the first, the, the one o'clock games were. They weren't very good. They were kind of garbage. Uh, it was a tough day for some rookie QBs. They had a a whale of a time going against some some NFL defenses, especially uh, I, I don't know who to pick as the worst. Probably Bryce Young. Bryce Young probably had the worst day. Finished 20 for 38, 146 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. A negative 10.2 total EPA, a negative 0.22 EPA per play. It was rough going for Bryce Young. Uh, that was not the start I think we all had imagined. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what to expect anymore. Our expectations are so skewed now. Uh, thanks to like first time starter Patrick, Mah- uh, first time starter QBs like Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Like it's hard for us to really imagine, and for NFL teams, it feels like for NFL fan bases and teams to imagine 
like just growing into a quarterback. It feels like we don't really have the time for that anymore, even though we should. It's not really fair. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not judging him by his first game, obviously, but we'll see. We'll see where he ends up. He had a, again, tough game, tough start to the season. They were playing the Falcons and the Falcons aren't, you know, they're not the greatest thing on planet Earth. Um, but, you know, it's week one. So we'll see where he ends up here in a little bit. Uh, CJ Stroud, he was also had a less than stellar day, 28 for 44, 242 yards. He had no touchdowns or interceptions, got sacked five times, lost a fumble, finished with a negative 14.7 EPA, negative 0.26 EPA per play, and a negative 4.6 completion percentage over expected. He had a tough start uh, in terms of matchup. He had to play the Ravens, and that defense is going to be very good this year, and uh, they showed it against Houston. Houston, obviously not a very good team either, so tough matchup for him to start his career, but we got a a score got me out of it, so you know what? Shout out to C.J. Stroud. He didn't score at all, but... Shout out to CJ Stroud nonetheless because we had a scorigami out of it, so I appreciate that. Anthony Richardson as well. He probably had the best day of, of bad days for the rookies. 24 for 37, 223 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He also had 10 rushes for 40 yards and one TD, negative 1.2 total EPA, and negative 0.02 EPA per play, a negative 5.5 compl- um, completion percentage over expected as well. So, not a great day for him. I think uh, one of the things I wanted to note as well, literally, because I took it, put it down in my notes, um, he was the, not the prime example, but really the flashpoint on Mead making this note. Um, and Joe and uh, Josh Allen had this issue yesterday as well. But for the love of God, for the love of all things holy, if you are a young QB, if you are in peewee football or whatever, if you are a child in junior high school football, even high school football, Learn how to slide, okay? Just please learn how to slide. I can't take it anymore. We're watching these uh, young QBs, like Josh Allen is one of them, uh, Anthony Richardson as well, where he was he was putting his head down. You know, I'm all for tough physical runs, but not from my quarterback. I don't want that from my quarterback. I want my quarterback to stay healthy for the full season and for a long career, okay? We don't need, I do not need Josh Allen, Anthony Richardson, a couple of other guys were doing it this weekend as well. I don't need those guys putting their putting their head down and trying to run through a linebacker that outweighs them by about 40 pounds of pure muscle who already has something wrong going in his head where he thinks that he needs to murder the person that he is chasing. That is what's happening there. Let's stop doing that. Stop trying to run some people over as QBs. Just go down with the slide. Go out of bounds, all right? If you want to get that extra yard, I get it, all right? But then, you know, it's not it's not worth one, sacrificing the season because you can very easily get hurt that way. And two, possibly your career. And three, livelihood afterwards, okay? Just learn how to slide. Take the slide. Just slide down. You know, start slowing up in front of the linebacker and go down, all right? Just chillax. You know, Tom Brady didn't go this long playing until 45 because he was running through people, all right? You know how he did it? He was running, doing some weird stuff uh, diet-wise. Like, that's for sure. But number two... He, when he was scrambling, he was sliding, and it was rare when he was scrambling, but when he was scrambling, he was sliding, kids. Learn how to slide, please. Go watch some baseball practice or something and learn how they do it, okay? Just please learn how to slide. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'm going to throw up the next time I see Anthony Richardson just get destroyed after a 15-yard run or Josh Allen after a 15-yard run just get annihilated and him get back up and still find a way to try to throw the football. I just It makes me, it makes me frustrated. Um, Another note, another note that I made as well. Uh, one thing you can always count on in these NFL games, 
for commentary, which is one of my favorite things. So one of my favorite things you can always count on in color commentary uh, for a lot of these NFL games. Color commentators, more often than co- more often than not, it's color commentators. Uh, but they're always calling the linemen and their tight end, like tight ends hands, like their actual hands. They love calling them paws. They, the next time you're watching football, listen for if, if he's talking about a lineman's hands or tight ends hands, they love to call them paws. And then the wide receiver, they're just hands, you know, good hands. But for tight ends, he reaches up there and he got his paws on that and he was able to bring it down or, um, you know, a lineman, if he's blocking somebody well or goes right through, he's able to sling those paws up there and get up up against the underneath the shoulder pads like you'll hear that and it's it's one of my favorite annual traditions for football they love to call whatever the big guy's hands paws because they i guess it reminds them of bears maybe maybe that's what it is the big old bear you know they're big so it reminds them of paws they're not they don't have hands anymore they have paws it's an annual tradition unlike any other i love it i love hearing that's when i knew i was we were back i knew we were back i can't remember what game i think it was the it was the Chargers and the Dolphins game, which, by the way, wow, wow, we wa, what a game that was. Um, I th- he was he's a tight end trying to make a play, and he called it a play. The color commentator called him pause. Loved it. I loved every second. It was awesome. And I, that's how I knew we were back. Uh, Dan Campbell, Man Campbell and the Lions, they, they're here, gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, they are here. They're here, and they might be here to stay. Uh, that's going to be a very difficult football team to play against, um, and I'm all for it. Jared Goff arguably had a better day under center and not necessarily all Patrick Mahomes' fault, but Jared Goff arguably had a better day under center than uh, Patrick Mahomes. It was I was having flashbacks of uh, the Rams days when we had arguably the greatest game ever played on that Monday night football game between the Rams and the Chiefs in the Coliseum, one of the greatest games of all time, but that was between him, uh, between Jared Goff and uh, Patrick Mahomes in that Rams-Chiefs game. I was having flashbacks, and uh, Jared Goff, he was good. EPA per play, I mean, good, maybe a strong. He was, he was solid. I'll say solid. Uh, 0.14 EPA per play, 5.2 total EPA. Uh, Patrick Mahomes really was getting, he got sold out in that game. Uh, his receivers were not helping him whatsoever. There was a couple situations where he was making some questionable play calls or uh, uh, throws down the field, and I was like, this is, and obviously he was missing Travis Kelsey and just a security blanket that he loves to have. And I think that kind of not necessarily rattled him, but made him a little bit more nervous because um, he didn't have that security blanket to just dump it off to essentially every time he went to and snapped the ball. Um, so, yeah, and they still should have won this game, to be honest with you. And, you know, the, you had tons of uh, basically their entire receiving court felt like had a uh, had a drop on their end. And I think Tony Kadarius, Tony, who finished the game with three drops, if I remember correctly, one of them leading to an interception that ended up being the deciding uh, points in the actual game with the Lions ending up and ending up to win 21 to 20. Um, he, I think posted the worst, uh, the worst score in the, in terms of PFF grade, the worst PFF grade in the history of PFF, uh, which is that's wild. The worst grade in the history of PFF uh, receiving grade in the history of PFF. That was a, it was a wild game. It was wild. And the Lions are here, man. The Lions are here. And uh, it's cool to see, cause you know, I'm like, I like seeing the Lions good. I like seeing tortured fan bases come to prominence for a little bit. You know, maybe not for a long time. I'm okay with it being for just a little bit, but they're here for a little bit. You know, they're here for a little bit. They're they're doing their thing. The Lions look like they're going to be in that team this year. And I can't believe it because Man Campbell, I mean, he keeps he keeps surprising me because every time I see Man Campbell, I'm like, this dude, he's gonna be like that's the guy I imagine when I'm thought I'm thinking about the uh, no good garbage poo poo game of the week. You know, that sort of person where he just wants to get, you know, nose to the grindstone, 
in the trenches, that torpe- that type of thing. But he just keeps surprising. He keeps showing out, playing good football. He went for the ball. He went for it on fourth down and like inside his own twenty or something like that. Something ridiculous. And I was like, this dude is insane. I'm all here for it. Now, granted, that would have looked a lot different if they ended up losing that game. That would have been a dumb call more than a gutsy call. We'd love to change those uh, the the verbiage for it. Uh, but that would have been uh, that would have been known as a uh, a dumb call, <laughs> a dumb call rather than a gutsy call. If that would not have worked. Um, Derrick Henry and the the Tennessee Titans and the Raiders, probably the worst game of the weekend, I would say, just in terms of um, like not very fun to watch, I guess, is what I would say. That was probably up there. Commanders Cardinals wasn't great either. But uh, yeah, here's the thing with the Titans, Derrick Henry. One thing I will say about Derrick Henry, there's nothing if you're like a, a safety or a cornerback, there's probably nothing more scary in football in the NFL than watching Derek Henry come towards you and then put out his arm to try to stiff arm you because you know, like you're going to become a meme because it's not going to well, like, you're not going to fight through that man. He's built like a tree and there's no way you're about to get stiff armed into the ground by this giant hunk of a human being. Um, but the other thing is Ryan Tannehill, there's no way there's no shot. They don't have anybody on the bench or, you know, even anybody that they want to try out outside of Ryan, Ryan Tannehill. He was terrible against just terrible against the saints uh 16 for 34 three interceptions 198 yards four turnover worthy plays he was so bad man he was just it was gross it was gross game to watch from ryan Tannehill. i wanted to throw up Derek carr wasn't that much better even though he got the win he was fine i guess uh it's just Derek with Derek carr i'm more like when i was while i was watching him he had he finished with 305 yards which you know isn't terrible 23 for 33 but there's a lot of times where i was like yeah this is the Derek carr we saw for uh, you know, uh, about a year and a half or whatever in Las Vegas. And then he's going to come right back down to earth. There's going to be a game where you're like, what are you doing? What is going through your head? He's very Kirk cousins. He's, he's very much in that Kirk cousins. He tear, uh, tear a tier uh, of quarterbacks. And that's not necessarily a good thing that can lead to bad things at times. He has those games. Kirk cousins just had that game, even though they lost, um, but he just had that game. And then there's a Kirk cousins, cousins game down the road that he's going to have Titans, man. Titans might be, one of the worst teams in the AFC this year, if they, especially if they keep running, uh, jogging Ryan Tannehill out there. I don't think there is anybody that's better on that bench, but it can't be worse. I, I don't think it can be worse than Ryan Tannehill. You got, you might as well see what you have at this point because you've gotten everything you're going to get out of Ryan Tannehill. I think. I think this is it, this is the maximum. Like the, the the two seasons ago or whatever it was where he was like the Titans were getting like Super Bowl, Super Bowl contender talk and it looked like Ryan Tannehill had finally come out of his shell. That was it. That was the peak. OK, it's downhill from here from Tan- for Tannehill. I don't see a situation in which he is playing uh, better than that, wh- whatever that was two years ago or whatever. I just don't see a situation in um, in. in and why and why they keep jogging him out there. There's got to be something better than that. Um, another note that I have here, Fox. Why do you still do the weird cartoon characters? They're weird. All right. Like somebody needs to tell Fox there's a better way to do this. All right. NBC, I think they do it perfectly. They just shoot a live shot of them for like five seconds. And then it's just their face and they're like their faces in motion and stuff like that. Fox does a weird one, man. I don't get it. I don't know how they're still doing the weird cartoon caricatures because they're terrifying. And most of them aren't even accurate. The DK Metcalf one from this weekend, just look, he looked like Jack Russell Wilson. Like that's all it was. It was bad. I hate all of them. They make me, they make, they make me feel weird. They make it gross. It's gross. I don't like the way they look and I see them in my nightmares. Like it's just, it ain't it. Another note, another note. Uh, how is it the year 2023 and 
with all the technology that we have around football, everything that we know, everything that we use for football, uh, statistically, just the way we can all watch film collectively each other by, uh, you know, whenever we want, essentially of every single game with uh, 20 bazillion cameras around each stadium. How is it we're still using uh, essentially a pole, literal poles to mark first downs markers, a pole connected to some chains to move to mark first down to mark first downs. That's crazy to me. Like, how is it we don't have something already where we can just like, I don't know, 3D shine a light into it. I don't know. I don't know how they would do it, but it's crazy to me that that's how they're still doing it. You know, like it's weird. I, I don't understand how that's still a thing uh, that they're that they're doing. We had an insane game in L.A. with the Dolphins and the Chargers. Um, unbelievable. An unbelievable game. I just wish that that's how football was played every single week. Like that was as fun of a game to watch that I can remember recently, to be honest with you. Uh, Tua Tunga Vailoa just showing everybody, hey, I think I'm here. I'm here now. Uh, 40, or excuse me, 28 for 45, 466 yards, 466 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. He had six big time throws, one turnover worthy play that turned into the interception, obviously. Uh, 62.2% completion percentage is very solid. He had 24 first downs. Um, he had a 92.8 passing grade from PFF and a 0.49 EPA per play, 23.8 total EPA, an average depth of target of 11.4, which is absurd. That is an absurd average, an average depth of target of nearly uh, of a first down, essentially. Um, that team's going to be so if you if you are able to watch one single team this year, if Tua can stay healthy and Tyreek can stay healthy and Waddle can stay healthy. That is the team to watch because they are going to be so much fun. That team, that offense is going to be running at a blistering pace. Tyreek Hill might have 2000 yards receiving this year. Jalen Waddle might finish with like 1500 yards receiving this year. It's going to be an unbelievable team to watch. And the chargers, I still think they're going to be good. Um, I'm still a little hesitant on Brandon Staley, to be honest with you. I don't know how much I think Kellen Moore, that hire of Kellen Moore on offense was a fantastic hire for them. I think he's going to do great things for Justin Herbert. He wasn't great um, in this game. Herbert wasn't fantastic in this game. Like I kind of expect him to be every week and out. He only had a 7.5 average depth of target. That's down uh, from what we normally see. He's usually up towards the tens in terms of average depth of target An EPA play of 0.12 total EPA of 5.6. He only finished with like a 60, uh, 62 or something like that in terms of grade 64 uh, grade from from uh, PFF, 228 yards, a touchdown. He was he was fine, you know. He was fine, but compared to what we were seeing from Tua, like you know, Tua was that's arguably one of the best quarterback performances I think I've ever seen, uh, especially from Week One. Um, just because he he had nearly 500 yards in the air in the NFL, which is unheard of. Um, so yeah, I just uh, that team. I mean, both of these teams are fun to watch. I wish these teams would play every week, to be honest with you, because they're a blast. They're a blast to watch. Tua Tungvaluwa had a 57% success rate, which is, that's that's really good. That's a really good success rate. Uh, and they had nothing other than, uh, nothing beneath an 84% in uh, uh, in terms of serious success, the Dolphins. So that's going to be a team to watch, man. I, 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 I don't know if I'm going to go off and say they're going to be like top three in the AFC, but if they all stay healthy, if Tua can stay healthy, that defense starts to play better under Vic Fangio. Uh, I think it's, I mean, and there was no reason to believe that they will cause they, you know, gave up 34 to the chargers and you know, and then, you know, that's a team that will put up points, but still they're in a tough division. Well, not as tough a division anymore now with Aaron Rodgers out, but, uh, against the bills, obviously it might change a little bit. We'll see. But, um, 
yeah, the, I mean, this team, it feels like the Dolphins can run with basically anyone with what they have. Um, and it'll be interesting to see come come playoff time, come the push for the playoffs. If Tua could stay healthy, that's a big if. He's really he's battled those concussion problems. He's had some other problems as well that's kept him off the that have kept him off the field. Um, but if he can stay on, I mean, this team, it feels like, and I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not gonna say I'm a huge Tua believer. You know what I mean? There are still like he's still kind of in that cousin, uh, that cousinsy area at times, um, where he just makes some like boneheaded plays where it's like, what were you reading there? That sort of thing. Um, but again, with a weapon like Tyreek Hill, like he, I mean, you can do anything with Tyreek Hill if you're Tua Tungavailoa. Just run a streak round. Just basically do the thing that you do in the backyard where you draw on the football what you want to do. Like, that's what Tyreek should be doing with Tua. Like, hey, this is what I'm going to do this play. And then just try to throw it to him every single time. Because I don't remember I don't remember seeing a such a one-on-one just disadvantage uh, or advantage for Tyreek Hill, but disadvantage for everybody else than Tyreek Hill. Like, the guy is unbelievable. He, he can just, like, if he's not double covered, he's open. Just period. So that was... The best game of the weekend for sure. Um, it was a blast. I, I'm happy we got that. I'm happy that I'm happy that Tua played well as well because I mean the two and on people I've always believed in uh, in Tua obviously, but um, you know for everybody else it felt like it was a uh, you know uh, kind of a realization that oh okay Tua might actually be good and now we can kind of stop criticizing him about everything every single thing that he does. Um, so yeah, I, that was a that was a blast of a game to watch. Um, and then man. The disappointment of the week, I, I think by far the biggest disappointment of the week was uh, the Giants and the Cowboys. Man, that game, the Giants, I, I think I, I think I was, I think the regression for the Giants is going to come this year. I don't think they're going to be very good in general. I think Daniel Jones, like he, he Jones finished last year as a very average quarterback in terms of a lot of statistics. Um, he only had 17 touchdowns, six, inter- uh, six interceptions, which is good, but he had a ton of turnover worthy plays. Um, I think he had 21 according to, uh, according to PFF. So, and, and his, um, like a piece of completion percentage over expected and EPA were all, he was a little bit higher than average, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like that much higher than average. So, um, I, I don't know. To me, this just screams regression, uh, regression candidate for the Giants. And I mean, obviously week one, not a great start. Uh, I mean, a good start to the prediction, just not a great start for them overall. Um, it can't be much worse than that, though, obviously. I mean, they, it's only up from here, I would imagine. So we'll see. I still think they can be contenders in the NFC. Well, contenders in the NFC is probably a little bit strong, but maybe a wild card team. I could see that again. Obviously, I could see them. They'll hover. I think they'll hover around 500 again this year. Maybe a little bit instead of nine and eight. I think they can go eight and nine, maybe seven and ten, something like that. I don't think that there's a lot there to make me think that they're going to go um, further and uh, much further, especially with um, unless Daniel Jones takes a big leap. And after that first game, granted. A lot of weather issues in that first game. It was raining like crazy. Didn't seem to affect the Cowboys, though, obviously. But, you know, better defense, the Cowboys. Um, but still, I mean, you know, I don't really know what to expect in terms of a leap from Daniel Jones. And we'll have to see. Um, and the opposite side, the, the, the Cowboys, man. I mean, that's a that's a good team. They have no depth on the offensive line, and injuries on the offensive line have really uh, hindered their ability in the past, obviously. And again, so they have no depth, so they really have to stay healthy in that spot. I do. I mean, their pass rush just overall is, 
after one game, obviously, as good as anyone in the league, I would say. Um, they've already got one of the uh, top two pass rusher in Michael Parsons, um, and they filled that around with a bunch of other guys like Dexter Lawrence um, and a couple other guys. Uh, and I think they're going to be like very good up front, uh, at least on defense. So I think they're going to be, uh, you know, they're missing probably a, a big speed guy on the outside for Dak Prescott to throw to down the field. CeeDee Lamb's a fantastic receiver. He doesn't have the the breakaway speed, though, I would say. Um, and Tony Pollard is a, a fantastic get in terms of value at the running back position. So I, I think they can, I mean, I think they're solid. I think they're going to be a very good team, a team that, uh, you know, could push for the Eagles position at the top of the NFC East. Um, if they stay healthy, especially on that offensive line, because, um, Dak, when, you know, when in bad situations could really make some bad plays as well. And, you know, again, they'll only go as far as Dak will take them as well. So we'll see where Dak is, how good he is throughout the rest of the season. Um, and if that offensive line can stay healthy, that's going to be a very, very good team this year. And their defense, again, is stellar. So I'm excited to see what, I mean, the Cowboys. Look, here's the thing. If the Cowboys are good, I don't love the Cowboys, but if the Cowboys are good, it's good for football. It's just good for football in terms of numbers if the Cowboys are good. So um, the, the NFL needs a good Cowboys team at some point in the next, you know, five to ten years. That would be fantastic. Um, okay, I think... That is going to wrap it up this year, um, this year, not this year, this episode. Um, actually, really quickly, I do want to talk about the um, the Packers and the Bears. The Packers and the Bears. That Jordan Love, I think, is going to be, I, I hate, I hate that they found at least somewhat another decent quarterback in Green Bay. I have no idea where they're gonna, where he's gonna go from here. Um, but he looked pretty solid in that game against uh, against the Bears. The Bears have like zero pass rush, but um, he looked. I was I was impressed with that game um, for from Jordan Love, especially that being your first um, opening day start. You know, you're now the face, quote unquote, of the franchise, uh, taking over for arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of that franchise. So that can put a lot of pressure on people. And a lot of people would break under that pressure. Um, but he went in there uh, against Chicago and had a pretty solid game finished with the 0.55 EPA per play, total EPA, uh, EPA of 16.9 average depth of target of 10.2. Like that's, those are good numbers for uh, your first opening day start from Jordan love. So I, I was, uh, I was impressed by him and I don't think, you know, I don't think he's going to be, he's not going to be that every week. Obviously I do think that, Bears defense maybe got a little bit too much love in the offseason. Um, I, I think that Bears defense isn't going to be very good. I think that their pass rush is, is bad. I, I don't think their pass rush is good at all. And their offensive line on the opposite side, um, you know, Justin Fields is going to have to be running for his life again this season. And uh, that cannot be, uh, it cannot mean good things if you are, uh, if you're a Bears fan or Justin Fields in general. Um, so I, I, I'm curious to see as the season goes on for, both of those teams, how they kind of change around um, their quarterbacks. Like if Justin Fields continues to show out, what kind of moves do the Packers make? Because the Packers have good enough defense. I think that can kind of take them a long way as well. Um, and for the bears, what do they do? Cause I mean, they've pretty much banked everything they have on Justin Fields working out. And I don't think they, I mean, and the other thing is chase Claypool, who is out there for the bears. If you go watch some of the film from just from chase Claypool, he does not look like he wants to be there at all at all all so go go back and look some of the some of the clips of him um not him like essentially going for routes i mean even some of those clips or anything like that run blocking all that stuff he that looks like a disastrous trade for the chicago bears um it'll be interesting to see though I, i'm curious to see what they do if this continues on this path as well 
uh, and they end up having another, you know, four and 13 season or five and 12 season or something like that. What sort of changes are going to be made? Um, I don't think they're going to fire their head coach because he just got there essentially. Um, but it'll be curious. I, I am curious to see what they do in terms of a team building standpoint to try to help out Justin Fields as the season goes along uh, or what kind of uh, adjustments in terms of play calling they make to try to help out Justin Fields um, as they go along more designed runs, that sort of thing uh, for Justin Fields, because an offensive line is going to struggle this year to try to keep um, rushers at bay from, you know, basing it off of what we saw in week one against the backers. It'll be, it'll be an interesting year for Justin Fields. A lot more runs, I think for Justin Fields are uh, in his future, but listen, here's the thing. He's got a slide. And I think he knows that he's got a slide. Um, Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we're over by about 15 minutes. That's on my phone. That's my fault, but that's okay. You know, it's week one of the NFL season week. What was it? Two of college football season. We got football back. Football is back. Don't forget today, September 12th, hug a Jets fan. It's international hug a Jets fan day. Just let them know you're there that you're sorry. It sucks. You know, make it like that scene from, um, Goodwill hunting where you tell them it's not their fault. And then they just start crying because that feels like where they're at at this point. Um, all right. That is going to wrap up the show this week. I want to thank you all very much for tuning in. Uh, remember to uh, follow this podcast, subscribe to it wherever on those podcasting platforms. I greatly appreciate it. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts. Go to any of those. Give me a nice old five-star rating on those. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, it's the Weekend Sports Wrap podca- uh, Podcast. Thank you, guys. Guys, so very much. Um, remember to tune in next week as well. We're going to be covering week two and more football because it is football season. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. This has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, and I've been your host, James Timberlake.